Hello, everybody. Welcome back to A Higher Future. I'm UB Simignetti, and as always, joined by Dr. Nicole Gravagna. Hi. Good morning, UB. Who are we talking <laughs> with today? Uh, so we're we're going to get into a conversation uh, about the, the balance, right, of human and technology, right? How does all that, like we talk about that, uh, and we're going to talk with Michelle Natalia Moore, who is the founder of Mind Equity. If you go to mindequity.ca, that's where you can find all her amazing work. But first of all, welcome to the show. How are you from Canada? Hello, Yubi and Nicole. It's great to be here. Doing well. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, yeah, let's dive into this because this is a conversation that we talk about um, from, you know, because our goal is to make human beings be better interviewers. And we, we can do that in a lot of ways, but technology is a key part of making that happen. And so let's, let's dive into that conversation. And well, first of all, let's hear about your history. You know, you have a very interesting history that spans the globe. Some might say you're, you know, in the spy business, you know, or a globetrotting adventurer. Uh, but I'd love to hear kind of how you got to this point. Sure. So I think the short summary is I'm in my fourth country of long-term residence, uh, now in Canada, a dual citizen of the U.S. and Canada. Uh, but I grew up in I grew up behind NASA as well as in Germany, German mother, so bilingual household. And I didn't know what to do, really. Uh, I thought I wanted to be a spy, so I studied Russian, but then I realized <laughs> that was not for me. And when you don't know what to do, management consulting is a really good option because you get to change what you're doing all the time and work with different clients. So I entered the management consulting field uh, with Pricewaterhouse and uh, because of my interest in what lies beyond the Iron Curtain, I propelled myself into Russia and started with Pricewaterhouse uh, in the Russian, in, it, when the Russian practice was in its infancy, right? When USAID was still funding it and went, was always at this intersection of human and tech. So technology-driven change is the common thread throughout my career and still is today. And now I've landed in this, in this space of helping professional services teams focus better and have that balance between technology and human interaction. And how do we develop those relationships, especially in this pandemic era? Yeah, so you say that you, um, you work with knowledge workers. So what is a knowledge worker? So I consider myself a knowledge worker because consulting is a knowledge worker. And so my definition of a knowledge worker is somebody who has to primarily think for a living to create value, who has to hmm. primarily come up with new strategies or new assets or new insights, new solutions to challenges, and is always thinking, 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 creating, 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 innovating, innovating, innovating. And so what do companies want from knowledge workers? Like, it, it sounds like innovation is one of the big ones. Is there anything else? Well, it depends on the purpose of the company, certainly. But in general, they want new ideas and solutions to problems as quickly as possible. All right. So then my, my other question here is like, okay, innovation. We've been talking about innovation for, for decades now. It's, it's a, um, a big focus of what companies, a lot of technology focused companies are trying to do, but there's this magic behind innovation. There's, there's a bit of a secret sauce or a black box. Like, how do we make it happen? Um, 
and there's a lot of creativity in there. So how do we, how do we manage innovation in a time now where we are all digital and then going forward in a time when we will be sort of hybrid. Some of us will be in the office. Some of us will still be digital. We'll be able to come together for purposes, but then go home for other purposes. Um, how, how is that gonna play out? So what I'm seeing is that knowledge workers who yes, are also innovators are getting burned out quickly. Um, and there's this focus on, and there are reports out there about how productivity has increased in the time of COVID. And I don't believe it. I do not believe because first of all, how are we defining productivity? Why are we still measuring people like uh, their widgets? Mm -hmm. um, and I believe that we should be measuring effectiveness, doing the right things well in a quality manner. And innovation, I also sense on the one hand, collaboration is increasing because you're able to tap into the diversity of the world population for your team. So knowledge workers all over the world, you can get increased diversity and hire quicker, onboard people quicker in this remote environment. But I do believe that collaboration is at risk and true innovation, i.e. solving the world's problems faster and better, is at risk because we are with heads and screens. We're losing the wisdom of the team that comes from being in a shared physical space together. And I think our challenge is how do we tap into collective wisdom, not just intelligence, but collective wisdom in this virtual environment. Mm, that's fascinating. I mean, because you too, to your point, you know, if we think about the five senses, we've essentially lost one major sense in this virtual world, the, you know, the, the sense of touch and feel. So, so how, yeah, what, what's the impact? What's the impact on what you're talking about, this, the, the collaboration or the, the now, you believe, lack of productivity? You know, what, how does that impact uh, us working together? So I also see an experience in my own uh, work, loss of interconnectedness. Yes, we're connected hmm. digitally. There's an yeah. increase in connectivity. But the loss of human interconnectedness and this felt sense of, well, what's going on with the people that I'm meeting with right now in this room? How are they doing? What is behind the scenes in terms of how they're feeling? And some organizations are starting to correct this gap in interconnectedness by doing a simple thing like a check-in. Let's mm -hmm. do a one sentence check-in and actually share how we're feeling. Yeah. To, to get back a bit of that human interconnectedness that that we've had naturally at the water cooler uh, or at the beginning of a meeting in the physical space. Oh, I'm feeling like we're doing it right now, Yubi. We do, we do yeah. this in our, in our work. Um, but in the beginning of every meeting, we, we yeah. do a traffic light check-in where we say, you know, essentially, are you good to go? You got some, something um, in a hazard or, you know, distracting you a little bit or are you really on the struggle bus? And, um, and, yeah. and it has been interesting working with uh, Interview IA. I mean, I, I'm new to the company and I've never had anyone check in like that on the regular, mm -hmm. unless it was like in therapy or in the work that I've done in learning how to 
uh, drive other people through this kind of um, getting into mind body sensing that kind of thing. Uh, but it, it really, when we do it on the, on the daily, it has really brought uh, humanness to our work and personally experiencing that has been incredible and, and bigger than I ever thought it would be just that quick little one sentence check in or even one word we ask what color mm-hmm. are you and you just say a word. It's fascinating. And it's so easy and so impactful and does not take a whole lot of time. And right. the beauty of it is it has an added benefit of immediately enabling the team to have more attention, more yeah. focus in the meeting. They're going to be more aligned. They're going to have less minds, not mindset, uh, less chatter of related to anxiety or whatever else was going on that they may be shared about. It's going to be placed on the back burner. They're going to be able to focus on the meeting. They'll probably multitask less in the virtual meeting, right? That's another thing we see proliferating Mm -hmm. is multitasking during Zoom. And you can see who's doing it if the camera's on, right? Or people have cameras off. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I may be guilty of that a little bit. Well, it's also an empathy. You're doing. No, No, I'm doing work. (laughs) Uh, We also think of it as an empathy activator. You know, I think that you do some empathy work, which is really fascinating, uh, you know, for us, because over time, what we end up seeing is that uh, we get, we actually get to know more about each other because we get to know what the colors mean for each other. And then therefore we as a team can step in to help those who are um, on the struggle bus, as, as Nicole mentioned, you know, and, and swap tasks out, for example. So it, it does even build a, a bigger layer of, of collaboration in there because we all have, you know, we, we all have the same goal at the end of the day, and, and none of us wants to feel excluded from the team just because maybe we physically have a migraine or we're dealing with some mental health issues or whatever it might be. We just didn't sleep well, but we still want to be a part of the team. So I, it, what, what's the empathy aspect of, of what you do? Is there a little bit you can talk about yeah. there? So you being Nicole, you're modeling best practice. I love it. I think it's such such an important thing. You don't see this. It's not as widespread as one would hope it is. The empathy piece um, of my work is twofold and and it's pretty new. I've only been involved uh, in understanding how do we bring empathy tools into the workplace for about the last six, seven years. It's very new in my my career. I did not have this when I was a partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers. I didn't have this tool set, which I think was a gap. Um, And one of the tools I was introduced to comes from MIT um, in the Theory U space, Theory U is a transformation framework that embeds empathy practices, consciousness practices into the toolkit for, for better sensing into what is the change that we as a team want to make. And one of these practices is called social presencing. And social presencing is something I'm trained in as, as a teacher, and I teach this as well. I'm part of the global teaching team for social presencing. Um, and what it does, it's a vulnerable practice. It also teaches vulnerability because, for example, a very simple um, tool in that toolkit of social presencing is the stuck. So I could just share with you, okay, today I'm feeling stuck because I'm trying to get my daughter a vaccine and she's in the country of Armenia 
and she's at risk taking the AstraZeneca vaccine. So this is my stuck, right? This is, I've got that, that mental chatter, right? In my head mm -hmm. about how do I solve this issue? And so I can ask myself, where am I feeling this sense of stuckness in solving this challenge in my body? Hmm. So, okay, right now I'm feeling it in my gut. And so ideally we're doing this in a physical space, but so I'm gonna share with you that, okay, I'm feeling, so then I allow a sculpture to arise around the felt sense of stuckness in my body. So then I lean into it, right? And I'm not normally talking when I'm doing this. I'm facilitating myself and doing this practice at the same time, which is not normal. But um, so normally it's done in silence with a facilitator. So, so the, the facilitation is sense into your felt sense of stuckness. Where do you feel the stuck in your body? And then allow a shape, a sculpture to arise. So you see the shape arising. I'm pressing and I'm leaning forward. And I'll just pause here to make the example short. And then I hold that. And that, and so I'm showing that sense of stuckness. I'm not just sharing my anxiety about this. How do I find my kid a vaccine? Um, but as we do in check-ins, like we just shared, but I'm also showing you with my body and you as observers are getting data from that as well. And so let's say we're doing the same mm -hmm. practice with a shared challenge that we as a team are working on. Each of us will model that sense of stuckness. We'll, we'll have the same challenge, right? Right. Um, uh, the shared challenge or, or project that we're working on. And we'll see this in a non-spoken, a non-verbal way. We'll get data from our teammates on how, what are their sculptures, what evolving into future state. And, and it's, it's more complex than I just showed, but that's a brief taste of vulnerability work, innovation work, collective wisdom work, and the body-mind connection cultivation, et cetera, et cetera. It's very like a collaboration. Um, yeah, and it's team building, right? When you do mm -hmm. this kind of stuff with other people, this weird stuff, right? You, you form a different sort of bond and uh, yeah. New insights. So I was trained in something very similar, which be able to identify something you could, you would talk about as a thought in your body, like, where do you feel it in your body was what I was taught to say. And I took that and, and it sounds super woo woo, right? It sounds like mystical and spiritual. And where do I feel it in my body? What a weird question. And then I went into the science behind it. I, I have a neuroscience degree. I went into the literature. To, okay, what is happening here? Why does this even work? And there's a ton of science behind what's really going on there. And so it's not woo-woo at all. It's absolutely grounded in what we understand as the brain-body connection in that we the brain isn't all in the head. And it really does. Um, there are neurons and not just the kind that feel whether or not your phone is vibrating all throughout your body. <laughs> so yeah. so there's, a, there's a ton of science behind this. Um, where one of the things you brought up when we talked earlier was the difference between collective wisdom and collective intelligence. Hmm. Can, can you share more about that? I'm really curious to hear how those two things are different. Absolutely. So this is just my perspective. I'm not a scientist, right? So there are probably better scientific definitions that I, than what I'm going to share right now. But I define intelligence as something that I, I just know from personal experience that I was always rewarded for analytic thought, um, being in consulting and also having a father as a scientist. And, and uh, so this, this reward for thinking, 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 for cognition, for analysis, for reliance on data, let's appear smart, 
uh, let's talk a lot, right? <laughs> yes. um, let's, let's, especially as an extrovert, you know, you have an advantage and you can just, you know, kind of steal the show as a, as a good talker. Um, that is all well and good, but it takes away half of the knowledge bucket well, I would also say knowledge is in the head. It, it takes away half of the information that we actually as humans have access to. So when I learned about Theory U and when I learned about social presencing and also using gameplay as a way to innovate and to tap into wisdom, and of course, also being a meditator, tapping into insight through silence. So wisdom to me is a collection of data that comes from sources other than analytic thought, other than thinking, which is the human being as a sense making and as a sensing organ, right? Our bodies are much bigger than our heads. And we often just use the body as a transportation unit for the head. <laughs> and, and can we pay more attention to what are we feeling? What is the sense of knowing coming from not only our individual bodies, but the collective body, the, you know, people who do well at public speaking know how to sense the room mm -hmm. that is sensing into that social body. So we all have heard of this stuff, but it's about channeling it. I think in some of these practices, um, that is a huge opportunity for problem solving and innovating in a different way. Well, and I think in a more the, holistic way, holistic way. Well, I, and I think just the, like the the awareness of the fact that that that's going on, um, to me, you know, knowing that all of that is at play when I am, for example, I'll just use interviewing, right? Because that's easy for us to talk about. But it, it's not about just what's in my brain, right? It's there's feelings that I'm having, gut feelings senses that unless I'm aware of what's going on, then I'm turning those into more often than not negatives or I'm misinterpreting them. And so, so then I'm making a judgment call about somebody else that that's all that's based on something I don't even know. Right. And it's, and it's also based on what little bit of knowledge in my head that I have of them. Um, certainly less about a relationship between us because there isn't one, you know, if it's somebody new. And so I, I just think it's fascinating because there, there's all this at play within us, but we are only acknowledging a small part of what's at play when making huge decisions about whatever it might be, especially in business. And can you imagine if every single person was more aware of how it was working that the innovation that would come out of that or the, the decisions that we would make that would be so much better for the organization and for us as a team than how we're doing it today. Like it just, it's just sort of mind blowing once that awareness hits. And, and when we started doing some of this little bit of this work a few years ago, it's like, you can't unthink it now. <laughs> like it's my, I'm like, how the hell have we been, how have I been doing this stuff for like 43, 45 years in this way? Oh man, you miss, you feel like you missed out on a lot. Yeah. Michelle, when you said in the past, you, you lived in your head and you've learned now to yeah. embody your whole self. Um, did you 
have any, like, what was your experience of making that transition? Mm -hmm. And it's, it sounds like something you're encouraging others to do. Was it an easy transition? Was it tough? Was it fun? Was it scary? So I would say I'm still in transition because I've only been doing this intentional work, um, holistic work for about, like I said, six, seven years. And, and what's interesting is I've been doing yoga and meditating since my twenties. So you would think that I would have more body awareness, but it is absolutely possible to do yoga and stay in your head. <laughs> yeah. So when I did yoga, I did yoga teacher training in Canada, which was a physiology-based, uh, very mindful movement-based yoga teacher training. And that's when I understood, oh my gosh, I don't, I cannot eat. I'm not even in my body when I'm doing yoga. So it took me a year to actually feel my spine elongate on an extended exhalation. And if I hadn't done that work first, I would have never understood what I saw when I was introduced to Theory U about a year later. Um, so I am a complete work in progress because the default is still head, intelligence, think, think, mm -hmm. think, create a spreadsheet, whatever, right? Um, so it's a long journey and anybody that can do this earlier in their 20s, oh my goodness, you're going to be so wise if you're, if you're young and, and are hearing this and it, it appeals to you, explore all of these things. And, you know, I had, I had work and yoga and meditation was separate from work. And, and now it's almost like some of these pieces can be integrated, right? Oh, In, into time. one thing. Yeah. I luckily didn't get the spreadsheet code. That was, I'm glad I dodged that bullet, but otherwise I hear you <laughs> like it, it is, you get in your head. Right. And, um, oh man, it is fascinating. Yeah. And I, I've always, I mean, if COVID taught me anything, it's like, there's just life, right? There's no work versus life. You know, they're, they're, it's just all, like you said, it's kind of all together now. And that's, we got to figure it out. <laughs> but Nicole, in answer to your question too, it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It is yeah. a, it is not really a fun process, but once you start, you know, you have no choice. It's like, oh, oh, there's a room I haven't been in in a lot of like decades. Maybe I need to go see what's in there. Yeah, that was my experience too. It was, it was uncomfortable. And um, I see how a lot of people might peek in there and just avoid it. It's, it's, there's a lot of power in using your whole self to do your work, especially when you're doing, like you say, knowledge work innovation work where you're having to pull new concepts out of the ether to turn them into software or new products or medicine or whatever it is that you're trying to build. Um, and it, it, how you do that without using your whole body, I have no idea, but it's, it's, um, hmm. it doesn't always feel awesome. It's a different way of listening, right? You both are very mm -hmm. involved in diversity, inclusion, and listening to the maybe more unheard voice. Um, and I think it, you could just boil it down to a quality of changing how we listen to ourselves, even to space, um, to a virtual space. How do you listen to virtual space how do you listen to the room that you're in because space is also one of those relationships mm -hmm. so there are all these levels of listening that are that are new and there there's a richness and a depth to that 
and a healing quality to it. That's why the benefit of, you know, adding in these practices, not replacing your intelligence stuff with anything, you're just adding in a new layer of practices that create a new richness and a more holistic approach to anything that you're trying to solve. So, so here as we're wrapping up, um, can you bring this back to attention and why attention is so critical? Yes, because I believe that our second existential threat after climate change is that humanity is at risk of relinquishing its power to machines because we are so enamored with machines. And don't get me wrong, I love tech. I think AI can solve a huge bucket of problems that we wouldn't be able to solve and, and we're doing great things with tech and let's definitely keep going, but let's not use, lose the human in the mix. And so that's sort of on a grand scale. Let's, let's retain our mastery or let's retain our power over our tools. Let's please do that. But when you see people in the workplace um, and, and, and children, obviously, uh, with heads and screens, you are, I get worried that we are going to lose our humanity, lose our interconnectedness, lose our empathy, lose our ability to learn because this excess of heads and screens, which is exacerbated in COVID, frankly, and we can't really do anything about it uh, if we're still in lockdown like we are in Canada. Um, but it's it's eroding cognition. It's eroding the prefrontal cortex. Our ability to learn is, is um, decreased. And that is scary stuff. And that is going to impact first and foremost, when we talk about the adult population, um, the knowledge worker community. And so if knowledge workers cannot learn to protect and value attention, and now I'm speaking to leaders, if you're a leader of a knowledge worker organization, of a professional services team, can you adopt a new organizational value, which is we value attention as much as we value money. And we are going to protect and harness attention. We're going to value attention as much as Facebook values our attention right? We've got an attention economy. Those guys know what the value of attention is because they're getting data from it, but they know the value of attention. If we as company leaders or as team leaders can value our attention that much and no one's doing it, what measures can we put in place in the culture of our organization, in the tools and environment design, in our ability to focus, in our ability to have balance, how can we design the future of work so that we are all behaving as though attention is a super important, valuable asset? I think attention capital is the most underinvested resource in the knowledge worker community. And maybe if not in, in, all, in all organizations, but in particular, um, if we start to view this as important as as traditional capital, we're going to make huge strides and have better well-being on top of it. Ooh, that's your tweet, man. That, that's that it. Is, yeah. What an <laughs> insight. Yes. Yes. Holy cow. So, uh, so I you. guess that would be the I, ideal future of work. You know, if, if, if companies are able to recognize this attention piece, not just recognize, behave as a leader <laughs> and as a team behave like attention is our most valuable asset. Fair enough. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. 
Well, thank you, Michelle. This has been just a really incredible conversation. Um, I love when we learn during these, you know, like, it's just like my mind, I need to balance it out because it's like, it's all up here. I need to figure out how to spread it out. So thank you for being here. So mindequity.ca is where people can go, right. To, to really start digging in and, and reach out for, for your help. Yes. And there's a free tool there. Press the green score, your focus button and get a sense, get some awareness of where you are on your ability to, to be focused. It's a quick two minute survey that you can do and see, see what your current state is. Nicole, what was your score? I got a 50. I hope it was good. I don't know. Yeah. What does 50 mean? I'm curious. So 50 needs improvement for sure, <laughs> but every, but, but I'll tell you so far about 250 people have taken the survey since I launched it a couple of months ago and 85% of survey respondents are scoring under 40%. Oh, wow. So you're higher than average, which I think is normal given your background. Also COVID, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, man. I'm going to have to go take it now. Well, Michelle, thank you so, so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you as well. And thank you for your important work. I love your approach and your holistic you. nature to it as well. You're a great example. Thank you. And thank you all for continuing to tune in. We'll check you next time. See you.